0: When
1: Andrew Bott flips on the TV, it's like he can hear all the political races he's been covering, reaching this crescendo. So if
2: you're an average person in Iowa, you watch your local news, every break is political ads.
0: Teresa Greenfield is not who she says she is. You'd think Joni Ernst would stand up, speak up.
2: She does not
1: share our values. A real Iowa leader would stand for what's right. Not for what's easy. Andrew reports for Iowa PBS. There's very
2: few ads able to sneak in there to get your heating and cooling system ready for the winter. It's almost all (laughs) um, political ads, wall to wall.
1: Where Andrew lives, just outside Des Moines, there are ads for local statehouse candidates, congressional candidates. But a lot of these ads, they're for the local Senate race, where an upstart Democrat is looking to unseat incumbent Republican Joni Ernst.
2: Joni Ernst, a much more well-known commodity, is talking about how much she supports Iowa, how she's a true Iowan, and also is playing a little defense on key issues, including health
1: care. Does it surprise you to see Joni Ernst, an incumbent senator in Iowa, on the defense here?
2: Um, it should surprise anybody that's watched Iowa, because Joni Ernst is a Republican star.
1: Joni Ernst is the vice chairman of the Republican Senate Conference a close ally of Mitch McConnell. And despite all that, she's in the fight of her political life. Can we talk about the Senate race and just how much money is pouring into it? Because I was looking at the numbers, and they seemed kind of bananas to me over here in New York.
2: The numbers are astronomical. Uh, The Iowa race, and it's hard to, to wrap your head around this, is the second highest, most expensive Senate election Overall election, besides the presidential one in American history. And if you know anything about Iowa, it's not the most expensive state to buy ad time, to hire staff in.
1: One reason Joni Ernst is feeling this pressure, her challenger has outraised her by as much as four to one.
2: It's an unbelievable amount of money. And 2020 is really going to be a test of a lot of things. What is the limit? Is there a limit? for how effective money can be in an election, and is there a ceiling?
1: Today on the show, in this Iowa Senate race, Democrats have the lead when it comes to fundraising. But is that going to translate to an upset come election day? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. I want to talk a little bit about who Joni Ernst is, because if you're not in Iowa, there's a chance you're not familiar with her. I mean, she was elected in 2014. She's the first woman from Iowa to hold a federal elected office. And in 2014, my understanding is she won her seat pretty handily.
2: She did. And that 2014 race— Joni Ernst wasn't guaranteed to to win anything in that race. She wasn't guaranteed to be the nominee of her party. There were some party insiders, including um, our state's governor, that had encouraged her to run. But uh, there was it was a tough primary race, and she needed some help, and she needed some things to go her way. And they worked really hard on the Ernst campaign to raise her profile. And that's what they did with those TV ads that really weren't aired a lot on TV. They were actually posted online and got a lot of airplay.
3: I'm Joni Ernst. I grew up castrating hogs on an Iowa farm. So when I get to Washington, I'll know how to cut pork. Ah!
2: Joni Ernst. Mother.
1: And she says, let's go to Washington and make the Democrats squeal, basically.
2: Absolutely. And then there was another ad that Joni Ernst ran where she was in her motorcycle attire firing a handgun.
1: At Obamacare.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And once she sets her sights on Obamacare, Joni's going to unload. Oh, and one more thing. Joni doesn't miss much. Now, those are definitely primary, not necessarily general election uh, messages, but those are things that raise that profile. And then between the spring of the previous year, where she was not a lock to win her nomination, she had won a nomination, won a statewide race, for U.S. Senate uh, that was previously held by a Democrat, and she was the Republican response, official response to President Barack Obama. It's a just shooting star out of the state Senate in Iowa to the Republican response to Barack Obama, all in less than a year.
3: Tonight, though, rather than respond to a speech, I'd like to talk about your priorities. I'd like to have a
1: conversation about the new Republican Congress you just elected, and how we plan to. Andrew says Joni Ernst having to fight so hard to keep her seat. It isn't just surprising because she's a Republican star. It's that once you win a statewide seat in Iowa, you tend to stick around.
2: Iowa has a history. Before Joni Ernst won her election in 2014, we had two senators that didn't lose. Incumbency was a very strong thing in this state. Chuck Grassley won a Senate race in 1980, Tom Harkin, a Democrat won a Senate race in 1984. And those were the Republican and Democratic senators in Iowa for 30 years.
1: So once you're in, you're in. Yes. Uh,
2: so there's this sense that Iowans that that get this statewide race, they might be able to hold on to it as long as they want.
1: Huh. So why did the Democrats think she might be vulnerable here? I think 2020
2: is a lesson that either party, you never just seed something like a U.S. Senate race. Hmm. I don't know if a lot of Democrats thought she would be vulnerable, to be quite honest. Donald Trump won this state by nine percentage points, more than he won the state of Texas in 2016. Is this state trending Republican? Joni Ernst is a star in the Republican Party. Um, She's a strong candidate. This wasn't really necessarily viewed as a vulnerable race for Republicans two years ago.
1: When did that change?
2: Maybe late spring, but definitely early summer of 2020 that's where you saw a change. When Teresa Greenfield won this nomination in June, most Republicans saw her as the presumptive nominee. She had the support of Chuck Schumer and the Democratic Senatorial um, Campaign Committee way back in 2019. So she was a proverbial favorite in this race. But when you really saw that change was over the summer with polling and when you started seeing more money come into this race. Those things kind of cascade on each other because you know, when you read all these prognostications in the spring, Iowa wasn't at the top of the list of what was most likely if Democrats wanted to win the Senate. But it is now.
1: Hmm. Well, let's talk about who Teresa Greenfield is. She's a Democrat. And she d- she isn't unlike Joni Ernst. She was not a politician before this race, right?
2: Right. She has never held elected office before. She did pursue the Democratic nomination for a congressional district, U.S. congressional district in Iowa in 2018. It's the one that includes our largest suburb of uh, Metro of Des Moines. Um, and Teresa Greenfield was in that primary. She was viewed as uh, one of the candidates that could win the nomination and go on to win a, a U.S. congressional seat. But what happened in the final days before the primary ballot was to be solidified in March of 2018, a report broke out that Teresa Greenfield's campaign manager, had forged signatures It required a certain number of signatures to get on the ballot. And Tracy Greenfield was unaware of that, and they had to scrap their list of signatures of Iowans and try and rebuild that within 24 to 48 hours. She was unsuccessful in her bid to do that. So her candidacy really kind of fell apart before she could even get on the primary ballot. So that was her history as a candidate before the U.S. Senate race.
1: It seems like she would have to rebuild some trust after an incident like that.
2: I think so. And I think she clearly was able to do that in the ensuing two years or just a year and a half from that, because she went from that, which is really a political embarrassment to have that happen for any candidate, that their staff would do that and that would end up in them not even being on the ballot. But in a little over a year from that, she was able to rebuild behind the scenes and become the favorite from the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee and in the party here in Iowa, um, not the entire party because there was a a spirited primary, but to be the nominee in this race. So she was able to bounce back in there. And really um, that journey since then has been to introduce herself to Iowans. And that's something I think in a way she's still doing.
1: Right. Like Joni Ernst, she's trying to introduce herself as a real Iowan, someone familiar with farm life, but then also someone familiar with how government works. Like she's been telling the story of being widowed at in her 20s and how that created this dependence on benefits from the government and what that means to her, right?
2: Yeah, that's been a probably her most signature biographical story that she weaves into the early ads and still ads that you see on the airwaves here um, less than two weeks before election day. And in our debates, she has talked about this, a story where she was younger and her first husband um, died in an accident. He was a union worker. And uh, she was told of this, and she was able to survive, as she describes, on social security benefits. So she uses that as obviously a message of, this this is a tragic story, but also how she had to work through that, and also a strong democratic message of, you know, this was someone that was in a union, this happened, and government programs were able to to help her get through this period of time. And then obviously she pivots to talk about how important um, it will be for her to protect programs like Social Security and health care.
1: It's interesting. You said that a lot of Iowans still aren't familiar with Teresa Greenfield, but I have seen you know, these polls showing Ernst and Greenfield running close. Is a vote for Greenfield a vote against? Against Ernst? Is that what people are saying? Or is it a vote for this candidate? Are people talking to you about how they're seeing their vote?
2: Obviously, the answer isn't going to be perfectly one or the other. I think it's a little bit of both. A lot of folks that have dove into the polls are seeing a couple different issues. They're seeing that, um, at least up until this week, a lot of the public polling in Iowa since Labor Day has shown a very tight toss up race at the presidential level. But also a very interesting uh, drop-off for Joni Ernst's numbers. It's not just a strict necessarily in the polls showing the exact same numbers for Joe Biden and Donald Trump and then Teresa Greenfield and Joni Ernst. You're seeing a slight drop-off in, in numbers for Joni Ernst, as if there would be a split ticket out here. Although a common refrain amongst journalists is, can you find the Donald Trump, Tracy Greenfield voters? they hmm. There, there may not be ones that that talk about it very often, but there appears to be um, some drop off in those that are very strongly for Donald Trump, and that have, for whatever reason it is, are are not telling pollsters they're also for Joni Ernst.
1: And we should say that these polling differences, it's pretty much within the margin of error, right? It's really hard to tell like who's who's ahead, who's not.
2: Right. I mean, I think the takeaway from all of that is that. Iowa is not what does not appear to be what happened in 2016, which is a blowout win for Donald Trump and a Republican wave across the state. It appears to be a much tighter race at the top level and in this Senate race. And to say to go back to your to an earlier question about whether this is Joni Ernst having trouble reconnecting with Iowans or Teresa Greenfield's strength, I don't think that you would necessarily get here without a combination of all those factors.
0: Back with more What Next after the break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Can we talk about what happened when these two women met up for a debate earlier this month? Because it ended up with some pretty viral moments. Joni Ernst was in D.C., Tracy Greenfield was in Iowa. What did this debate look like?
2: This was their, their third debate. The, their first debate, they were in person with each other in our studios at, at Iowa PBS, and it was a very, a very a contentious lie? affair. That is
0: a lie. Senator, what I don't me, like I have
3: to, about you. I, I I
2: be. They talked over each other a lot, and, and they were there was a lot of pent up aggression, right, between these two candidates.
3: No, Neither one of Collins you are agreeing to the rules. Excuse me, Ms. Greenfield. One at a time, please.
2: By the time of their third debate, Joni Ernst was in um, Washington, D.C. Uh, she's on the Judiciary Committee alongside fellow uh, Senator, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. So they're in the midst of... But Amy Coney of, Barrett. Yep, yep. The Supreme Court uh, Judiciary nomination. So these debates are set on certain dates, set long before um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away. So the producers of this debate uh, with uh, two local news outfits had assembled a virtual debate. Joni Ernst was in D.C., uh, Tracy Greenfield was at another location in Altoona, Iowa, at a union um, shop. And then you had hosts and moderators, five of them, at a, another remote location in Des Moines. And they had a lot of technical difficulties. There was a lot of confusion early part of the debate.
0: And clear, and so I don't know what it is.
3: Those technical glitches figured out and move on to the next question.
2: But the moment... In this hour and a half debate that a lot of um, your listeners may have have seen online or um, replayed, was when the the candidates were asked specifically about prices for two of our major commodities, corn and
1: soybeans. My question is a simple ag question, Teresa Greenfield. You answer first. What's the break even price for a bushel of corn in Iowa this week? <laughs>
0: Well a bushel of corn's going for about three sixty eight today, three sixty nine and
1: break Teresa Greenfield
2: um, answered it pretty quickly. She seemed pretty happy to get the, the, the question.
1: She seemed like a commodities broker. She's like well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll tell you we've
0: had low commodity prices for too long and they've been going out of business prices.
2: Joni Ernst was asked about um, soybeans.
1: Senator, break even price for soybeans for an Iowa farmer to produce
3: yeah certainly um you know
1: and she appeared
2: to be a little confused there was some crosstalk. she answers um it with a with an amount that is not accurate and the uh moderator gave her another chance
1: much, I, I might have missed it but i don't think you answered my question what's the break even price for soybeans in iowa you grew up on a farm you should know this uh, i think you had asked about corn
3: and i it depends uh, no, on i
1: asked her corn it depends on what the field.
3: inputs are but probably about 550
1: well you're a couple dollars off i think here cuz it's 1005 uh, so well, we'll move on to something else then.
0: And, I
3: can...
2: and it's just kind of an awkward interaction one of many in that debate and but it became something that the greenfield campaign said here it is she doesn't know the price of this commodity it's similar to a president not knowing the price of milk as the old adage is so they're they're trying to use that as kind of the out of touch point of view the ernst campaign obviously came out the next day and said, hey, we've got endorsements from all these farm groups. This is silly. The Iowa Farm Farm Bureau, corn growers, all these groups are endorsing us. We are the candidate of farm country. And the clip went viral.
1: Was this meaningful in Iowa?
2: I think it's more meaningful for those that want to write the story at the end of this campaign. This This is not a tight race because someone either pinpointed the price of corn and soybeans or didn't in a debate um, in the final weeks. This, The dynamic of this race and why it is tight is for all the other factors we've talked about. But as, as often as the case and why we have conversations like this, it isn't the whole story.
1: You know, we talked about how Republicans and maybe Democrats, too, didn't think that this race would be competitive for a long time. And I'm wondering if we can talk about why, because Iowa has been a pretty purple state. Do you think it was just a misunderstanding of where the race was at this particular moment?
2: I think it's part of those assumptions that get made about a snapshot in time. This was a purple state in Iowa that at the presidential level has voted for a Democrat before Trump in every election except for 2004. They voted for Michael Dukakis, actually, in 88, Clinton twice, Al Gore narrowly in 2000. And then George W. Bush won this state by only a few thousand votes in 2004. Very close election. And then Barack Obama's story starts here in Iowa, and he wins this state resoundingly, not once, but twice. And all amongst this, you've got a state that is voting for a Democratic senator, a Republican senator. It's split their governor each way. So there's, it's got a purple background, but in the last six years, it shifted red across the board. Joni Ernst's win in 2014, Donald Trump's really big win across the state in 2016, and in our state house, what they call the trifecta—the Iowa House, the Iowa Senate, and the governorship—were all red, unified mm-hmm. control. So this state, I think it's not necessarily a misread that Iowa has trended Republican. It's the misread that it will always stay that way. There's a longtime journalist here, David Yepsen, who I um, get to work with at Iowa PBS, and he covered Iowa politics for more than 40 years. And he's a strong believer of a political pendulum in this state that you just don't know exactly when it's going to shift, but that it, it will. And Republicans have really been riding that pendulum to an extreme, a lot of wins, and that it might shift back. And I think that we may be seeing um, a change here in a couple weeks.
1: Andrew Bott, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Andrew Bott is a senior producer at Iowa PBS. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Daniel Hewitt, and Elena Schwartz. We get help every week from Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. I'm Mary Harris. You can check me out on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. In the meantime, make sure you stay tuned to this feed, because tomorrow, Lizzie O'Leary will be here with our Friday show, What Next TBD? And I will catch you back here next week.
0: Plus.